Welcome to Why Are You Weeping, an American Family Radio Easter special featuring Dr. Ray Pritchard. Ray is a frequent co-host of today's issues, as well as president of Keep Believing Ministries. Now, here's Ray with Why Are You Weeping? The story of Mary Magdalene meeting Jesus at the empty tomb is found only in John's Gospel. I think Mary must have told John about it personally. Everything about this little slice of life rings true to human nature as we know it. A weeping woman lingers by an empty tomb, wondering what has happened to the body of the one she loved. When Jesus suddenly appears, she doesn't recognize him. Then she grips his feet so tightly that he has to tell her to let go. The vignette ends with the mourner turned into a missionary, running to tell the others what she has just seen and heard. Although Mary Magdalene plays an important role in the life of Christ, we know very little about her. She is one of at least five women named Mary in the New Testament, and unless we are careful, we will get them confused. Mary Magdalene came from the village of Magdala on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. She was one of a group of women who became followers of Christ during his earthly ministry. She and the other women joined themselves to Jesus and his apostles and followed them from village to village, offering financial support and helping them in various ways. We are told that Jesus cast seven demons, or as the King James Version puts it, seven devils out of Mary. Before she met Jesus, she was totally enslaved by demonic powers. How she got into this sad condition, the Bible does not say, and it does no good to speculate. But we may be certain that if one demon is terrible, seven demons must be seven times worse. This much we know. When Christ set her free, he liberated her from the evil impulses that had kept her chained figuratively and perhaps literally. She is living proof that those whom the Son sets free are free indeed. Having been liberated from demonic bondage, she said to herself, and perhaps out loud, I love him for what he did for me, and I will follow him wherever he goes. And so it came to pass that when our Lord hung on the cross, Mary stood nearby with Mary his mother. When they took his body down from the cross, she was there to see that awful, gory sight. When they placed him in the tomb, she was sitting on a rock ledge watching it all happen. On Saturday evening, after the Sabbath had concluded, she purchased spices because she hoped to anoint his dead body. Early on Sunday morning, before the sun came up, she and the other women ventured through the darkness to the garden tomb, expecting to finish the job of anointing the body of Jesus. Now, if we piece together the various accounts of Easter Sunday, it seems that Jesus rose from the dead sometime in the pre-dawn hours. There was an earthquake, the seal was broken, the stone rolled away by the angels, and Christ came out of the tomb. When the women found the tomb empty, they were confused and terrified. The angels told them Christ had risen from the dead. They returned to tell the disciples who thought the women were talking nonsense. John and Peter investigated, and when they saw the linen wrappings exactly where the body had been placed on Friday evening, they believed. They left to tell the others. At that point, Mary Magdalene returned to the tomb. She is confused, bewildered, 
in shock, frightened, and brokenhearted. It has not yet occurred to her that the empty tomb means that Jesus had risen from the dead. It has often been said that Mary Magdalene was last at the cross and first at the tomb. This is a high honor that can be said of none of the men who followed Jesus. She was the first to see him alive and the first to hear his voice. The irony of the story is that when she saw him, she didn't recognize him. But when the truth hit home, she became the first evangelist in Christian history. Christ bestowed this great honor on her because she loved him so deeply and so devotedly. Easter is both good news and also terrifying news. It is good news that Jesus came back from the dead. It is terrifying news because Easter confronts us with the awful reality of death. The biblical accounts of the crucifixion stress that many people watched it from a distance. They wanted to see what would happen, but they didn't want to get too close. That's how most of us handle death. We keep it at arm's length. We avoid going to funerals if possible, and we never just drop by a funeral home to have a cup of coffee. We work out and lose weight and lower our cholesterol, and we try to be careful so that death won't come too close to us. But sometimes death comes unbidden and knocks at our door. Other times, death breaks the door down and comes barging into the living room whether we like it or not. Death is never easy to deal with. Most of the time we can avoid it or postpone it or keep it far away from us. But sometimes death stares us in the face and we don't know what to do or how to respond. And that's why Mary was standing alone at the garden tomb about 6.30 a.m. on the first Easter Sunday. We pick up the story in John 20, verses 11 through 13. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. If the tomb is empty, why is she still there? Either you know the answer, and I don't have to explain it, or you don't, and there isn't much I can say. If you've ever lost a loved one who meant more to you than life itself, you know why she was there. She loved Jesus in life, now she loved him in death. She served him in life, now she meant to serve him in death. She was there at the tomb, alone, because death could not destroy her love. Some of you this weekend remember friends and loved ones who were not with you this year. Perhaps you will go to a quiet cemetery and stand by grave alone. In your heart, you may even talk to the one who is now gone and tell them again how much you miss them. If you have ever done that, you know why Mary was there. She weeps because the tomb is empty. She is weeping over an empty tomb. What should have been good news broke her heart. We would say today that the empty tomb is one of the greatest proofs of the resurrection. Yet Mary weeps. 
This shows us that evidence alone will never persuade anyone. Mary had all the right facts, but she still jumped to the wrong conclusion. We often do the same thing. When faced with trials and unexplainable tragedy, we often weep over our circumstances, when if we had God's perspective, we wouldn't weep at all. And consider this, if Mary had gotten her wish, we would be the ones weeping today. If she had found Jesus' body still in the tomb, we would have nothing to celebrate because Easter would not exist. The story continues in John 20, verses 14 and 15. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you weeping? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Why didn't she recognize the Lord? The text doesn't say, but several answers come to mind. Certainly, she was not expecting to see him. Plus, she was overcome with emotion. But the main reason seems to be that Jesus deliberately veiled his own identity, much as he did with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Jesus did not want Mary to recognize him at first so that he could teach her an important truth. She had to learn that he is always present, even when he is invisible to the naked eye. From this we learn that our Lord is often closest to us when we feel the most alone. Many times, when going through a dark valley, we think God has abandoned us. But if only our eyes could be opened, we would see the Lord walking with us every step of the way. Just because we don't see him doesn't mean he isn't there. Note the question Jesus asked, who are you looking for? Not what are you looking for? That's a different question. Mary was looking for a what? A dead body. She was looking for something. Jesus pointed her to someone. The answer to our deepest needs is not something, but someone, the Lord Jesus Christ. We come to the conclusion of this story in verses 16 through 18. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go, go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Mary, he still knows her name. Rabboni, she calls him, my master. Think how much emotion can be conveyed in just one word. Father, mother, dad, mom, son, child, daughter, sweetheart, dearest. When Jesus called her name, he was conveying many things to her. I am still here. I am back from the dead. I still know you, and I still love you. 
She knew his voice, and he knew her name. This is a fact of supreme importance. Death cannot destroy human personality. The essence of who we are passes through death undisturbed. The real you lives on and passes through the doorway, marked death, to enter the great eternity that lies just beyond the threshold. Then he says, do not touch me, or better, stop clinging to me. Perhaps she knelt down and wrapped her arms around his feet so that he would never leave. I thought I had lost you, but now that I have you back again, I'm never going to let you go. In Jesus, Mary had found a man she could love and trust, but she was clinging to that which she must give up. Her clinging meant, I think everything is the same as it used to be. The words of Jesus mean something like, no, many things are different now. Very gently, Jesus begins to unfold the future before her eyes. He will soon ascend to the Father, where he will take his place at the right hand of the majesty on high. From there, he will intercede for his followers and will commune with them through the Holy Spirit. He will be closer to them in the future than he has been in the past. If he stays on the earth, his ministry will be limited to the few who see him face to face. He must ascend or we will not be saved. He must leave the few so that he can save the many, which includes all of us who follow Jesus today. On that day, Mary could touch him. Once ascended, we can all touch him through faith and prayer and worship. Mary's desire is understandable, and her fear at losing him again is very human indeed. But it cannot be that way. All of life is a letting go, a releasing of those things we hold dear, a giving up and letting go of loved ones that they might fulfill God's mission. We must say goodbye to the good in order that God's best may come. So, Mary went and told the disciples what she had seen and heard. The Greek is very vivid. Literally, Mary came telling. She couldn't stop talking about her encounter with the risen Lord. The mourner has become the missionary. So it is with all who meet the risen Lord. We are called to do as Mary did, to run and tell all who will listen that we have seen Jesus. Mary has firsthand knowledge, and so do we. There is great power in the words of someone who can say, I was there, I saw it, I heard it. I am giving you an eyewitness account. A Baptist church in Bangladesh was showing the Jesus film to an audience filled with people who had never heard the gospel before. Little children sat in front and in the aisles. The adults stood in the back. As the story of Jesus' crucifixion unfolded, there were tears and audible gasp. As the Bengalis watched, one little boy suddenly spoke up. Don't be afraid. He gets up again. I saw it before. This is our message to a world overwhelmed with the reality of death. God has given us the answer. We can say to those who feel bewildered and heartbroken, 
Fear not, Christ has come back from the dead. We have seen the Lord. I received an email from a young man in Pakistan. I do not know him and never had any contact with him until his email arrived. He found my email address at the back of my book, An Anchor for the Soul. Someone in America had donated copies to a mission agency that distributed them in Pakistan. Somehow, a copy fell into his hands. He read it, visited our website, downloaded some sermons on prayer, and then decided to write me. As you probably know, Pakistan is overwhelmingly Muslim. There is a Christian community there, but it is quite small and persecuted. The young man titled his message, Dr. Muhammad in Christ. Here is part of what he wrote. Dear Pastor Ray, greetings from Pakistan. I am 26 years old and am a graduate from one of the most prestigious medical institutes in my country. About one and a half years ago, due to some miraculous circumstances in my life, I started a search about the truth and he put the word truth, by the way, in capital letters. I started a search about the truth with true heart and mind. In my search, I read the Old Testament, the New Testament, the background of the Bible, lots of Christian websites, and lots of anti-Christian sites, views of Muslims on Christianity, views of Jewish Talmudic scholars on Christianity, views of Christians on Islam, and I corresponded with different Christians by email. I checked out different denominations of Christianity. I read about the Reformation. I read views of atheists on God, did a self-search on Dead Sea Scrolls, read manuscripts of the Quran and the Bible, and the history of Islam, and a lot more. After my entire search and quest about the truth, and again, he put that in caps, my quest about the truth. My whole spirit shouted for Jesus in these words, my Lord and my God. Surely he is the way, the life, and the truth. Now I am reading the Bible daily. Scripture is my food. The more I read the Bible, the more I meditate upon the word of God. I want to walk with God to the end as I know his promise that he is with me even to the end of the age. Let me say a couple of things about that email. First, it is all to this young man's credit that he didn't make a quick decision. He thought about it, he studied it, he read the Bible, he read comparative religion, he investigated Islam, he investigated Christianity, he talked with many people, and he came to his own conclusion. And the second thing I want to say is that if you know anything about Muslim evangelism, you will understand how remarkable that email is. Here is a man who found Christ after a long search for the truth. Maybe I should put that in caps, after a long search for the truth. He eventually said the same thing that Thomas said when he saw the risen Christ, my Lord and my God. So, there was another man, a man in Africa who was a Muslim, 
who decided to follow Jesus. When his friends asked him why he made that decision, he told them, suppose you were going down a road and suddenly the road forked in two directions and you didn't know which way to go. Then you saw two men at the fork, one dead and one alive. Which one would you follow? I decided to follow the man who is alive. That is what we have done. We have decided to follow the man who is alive. What does the Christian faith have to say about the problem of death? Easter is God's answer. God's answer is wrapped up in a man who came back from the dead. Here is a good test to help you know which religion to follow. Find the religion whose founder rose from the dead. That's the true religion that comes down from heaven. Only one religion meets that standard, Christianity, because only one man in history meets that qualification, Jesus Christ. Follow him, and he will lead you to heaven. There's an old gospel song called, Since Jesus Came Into My Heart. One of the verses contains this phrase, There's a light in the valley of death now for me, since Jesus came into my heart. That light is the light of Jesus, who stands knocking at the door of your heart. Can you say, I have seen the Lord? Can you truly say to Jesus, my Lord and my God? If you don't know Jesus, or if you aren't sure, there is no better time than Easter weekend to put your trust in him. Here's a very simple prayer that you could pray to express the desire of your heart. If you sense God is calling you to come to Christ, and if you truly want to know him, this little prayer could change your life. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I am a sinner. I confess that apart from your grace, I will never go to heaven. Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for me. Thank you for taking my punishment and dying in my place. I believe you rose from the dead on the third day. With all my heart, I trust you as my Lord and Savior. Come into my heart and save me now. Help me to live for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Prayer isn't magic. We aren't saved by prayer. We are saved by Christ alone. But a prayer like this can express the faith that reaches out to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you prayed that prayer with a sincere heart, then Jesus is now your Lord and Savior. Share the good news with someone else so that you can encourage them. Your faith will grow and your doubts will vanish as you tell others what Christ has done for you. I close with the question Jesus asked Mary, why are you weeping? The time for tears is over. The time to tell the good news has come. Thank you for listening to this special presentation from all of us here at American Family Radio. We wish you a blessed Easter. He is risen. He is risen indeed. 
You've been listening to the American Family Radio Special, Why Are You Weeping? Featuring Ray Pritchard. If you would like to connect with Ray or learn more about Keep Believing Ministries, visit keepbelieving.com. To hear this message again, visit the AFR.net podcast page. Why Are You Weeping? is an American Family Radio special presentation. Thank you.